0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of the Bay Street Capital Holdings podcast titled How Do You Do It and Why Should I Care? This series aims to highlight women doing amazing work in various industries. So today we are so lucky to be joined by Kareen Batae, who is founder and CEO of Blue Level. Hi, Kareen. Lovely to have you on the show. Hi, Leila. So I guess we can dive right into the questions and perhaps have an introduction and a main answer to the question of the podcast, which is how do you do it and why should I care?
1: Yeah, so... um... I'll just go ahead. And how did I do it? I'm the um, CEO and founder of Blue Level Training. So we do uh, training on diversity, equity and inclusion, as well as anti-racism and sexual harassment. Um, So how did I do it? It's I was, you know, when I studied uh, business, I then went for uh, a year after university. I went for a year traveling around the world a year and a half. So I spent a year in India alone and went to Malaysia, Laos, North Africa, and so forth. So I just really took time to travel and realize how little I knew about this world, you know, and I thought that I knew it all and everything that I was taught was, you know, concretely the best thing. And then finally I realized that there's so many people living differently, having different types of, you know, process or values and it's working and it's there anyway so that's what happened um and when I was done with that I got a job as an international correspondent where I traveled one year um, around the world uh, but I spent four years there so every three months I would be in a different country wow. and I had 100 meetings with different CEOs of fortune 500 and SME so you know met with the CEO of Ericsson in where was that oh my gosh. Was it in Sweden? Yeah, Sweden. And then um, spent three months in Switzerland, Germany, Houston, Texas, and went to Brazil. So we would publish uh, its business magazines that would then be published into um, a Brazilian business magazine. So um, then I was always, always obsessed with fairness, always obsessed. Uh, and that comes from the fact, as you can see, I'm a so I'm a woman, I identify as a woman, but I'm also a black woman. So a mix, half um white and half black. Uh, in the US, we call this black. In Canada or France, we call it half and half. So it really, and then if you go to Africa, then I'm kind of, almost white, you know, but I'm not white, but this is kind of the nicknames that you you give. So depending on where I am, uh, there's different things. So that's basically what happened when I was very young. Um, People just were not in my house. Everything was fine. And then I go outside and the kids are scared of me. They start spitting on us, calling us the N word. I don't understand what's going on. I'm with my little sister. I have my Afro that's full of spit So I'm trying to hide myself with my lunchbox. And it's just like, what is going on? They have a problem with my skin color. And then um, there was also a lot of gender roles in my family um, and a lot of unfairness. So um, I'm really uh, going in loop, Leila. I said anything in the wrong order, so I don't
0: know. Well, no, that is completely fine. And it seems Mm -hmm. like you also touched upon what inspired you to really work towards diversity, equity, and inclusion, because it seems like it came from your own experience. So Mm -hmm. my next question begs to ask kind of what were the best resources that helped you? I mean, I know you had your own experiences, but I feel like, um, you know, other people have unique experiences that you couldn't speak to as well. So how did you kind of learn about those and incorporate them into your company?
1: Oh yeah. So uh, it was really following the Me Too movement where 20,000, 20 20 million people wrote that their experience as sexual harassment or sexual assault. I wrote my little status. And then um, I know that some people in my family that were victim of both things didn't write anything. So then I realized, oh, my God, like if you have 20 million people in 24 hours and almost everyone that I know that was a victim didn't write anything. You can imagine that's almost like every single Person, And therefore, I realized that I, I cannot look at my friend who's a boy or my brother or my dad and or my sister or my cousin and think that nobody has committed anything. So um, I just realized that it was such a common thing to sexually harass that everyone needs to learn. And the problem is that in the training, you look at those old VHS and it's like, oh, sexual harassment prevention training and then it's like this typical really mean most of the time man that's like going to touch a woman and the woman's like ah and it's like a lot of people look at it and are like well that's not me like mm-hmm. i don't do this with my colleagues so this training is for another person like the bad people at work but no you know so that's why we build those training that are for every single person cuz you do not have to wake up in the morning and be a person that want to hurt someone mm-hmm. to commit sexual harassment, or commit a racist action, a microaggression, and, and you know, anti-LGBTQIA plus uh, behaviors. It's it's just so common that we really need to, like, take a step back and show normal people that are committing this because they are. And so um, that really helped me. Uh, my sister was a victim of sexual harassment uh, right before the Me To, and she did not receive any support. She went to depression. It was heartbreaking and I was like, no, 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 no. There's a big problem. And she worked at a school and they didn't even help her. They had no procedure. So I was just like, you know what? I, all my life since I was six years old, like looking at unfairness everywhere. And then at 18 years old, I, I was in a sociology class and someone said, Oh, women make less than men for the same job. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, stood up I turned around I said excuse me is it true and they were like yeah and my teacher was like Karin where are you standing up and I'm like no it's impossible and then they were like no it's true I'm like how can you all go back home and sleep normally knowing that women don't get how is this possible and they were like well that's just the way it is is." I'm like, I gotta get out I have to take a walk so I went for a walk and then I just kind of said, when I'm done my professional career, I'm going to dedicate it to fairness and making sure everyone gets treated the same and equity. And so after uh, what happened is like after working around the world, having my sister a victim of sexual harassment, I was just, you know what? I'm just going to start doing this now. I don't have time to wait and build an NGO that then I have to wait for uh whatever support and i let's go in the market have competition which will push me to continue to innovate and provide the best of the best and the most accessible for every person around the world any language you talk you your is i want this to access to be accessible for you so you can have a better life and can thrive at work at home and in your
0: community amazing and following on from that you kind of joined the industry, you know, already knowing what to expect. But I'm curious, were there any lessons that you wish you would have known before mm-hmm. working in the field of diversity, equity and inclusion?
1: Yeah, I mean, um, I actually studied and uh, DEI at Cornell, um, kind of uh, at the beginning of starting my company, which is like three years and a half old. So we have uh, in 2019 to 20, I studied that. I went to a lot of events in DEI. Mm-hmm. Uh and it just wasn't uh I there's so much stuff that I would like to learn, but I think it's more as an entrepreneur. I feel that coming with the this fresh new generation, new eye, making it super authentic and that it relates with everyone is really something that I felt really came from my 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 goal to make it accessible that everyone can recognize themselves in committing some of those things. So for me, that was okay. It's just like about taking risk. It's just about like going for it as an entrepreneur that I was kind of stalled for a year and a half. And then I had an investment afterwards and then I was like sitting on it. And I was like, if I do this, Oh, I might fail. No, if I do this, Oh, I might fail. No. So it was really a win or lose mentality. Uh, but eventually I got, I just, and now I'm a nice. was taker, and my team is, really has to be patient with me.
0: <laughs> so. No, 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 that's great, your journey. And um, obviously becoming an entrepreneur is full of risks and I'm sure like you might have experienced a few failures, some here and there throughout your career, but what would you say was your biggest failure and what did you learn from it?
1: Oh yeah, so my biggest failure was my biggest success and uh, that was because, uh, you know, we started with our sexual harassment training and we have our DEI training and e-learning, right? And um, we didn't produce the e-learning version of the DEI training yet. And then COVID hit. And then I was in the United States. My mother was in a residency. I'm a legal guardian. I take care of my caregiver, I take care of my mom. And so she was in a residency. And in Quebec, Canada, we heard, like there was like residencies that nine, percent of the people died from COVID-19 mm-hmm. was like literally horrible. And so by being in the U S not being able to travel, I was like, my sister is a biologist. I know people that are epidemiologists. I'm going to build, I, ha- I have an e-learning platform. I'm mm-hmm. going to build this training on COVID-19 mm-hmm. awareness. I have people from Sink du Soleil in occupational, safety. Uh, wow. so I'm going to build this And so I'm going to donate it to those residencies because like people cannot die. And that's my way of saving my mother. Yeah. Okay. That's how I think. And so it just kind of happened. But by doing that, I was like, okay, I'm going to sell this to Fortune 500 companies, like big companies. So I spent three fourths of all my investment that I had. But at the same time, I built all the infrastructure so that we can serve large organization, built it with vendors and then I arrived to sell it. We have one or two very nice organizations that decided to buy it. They love it. They're still using it. But yeah. it was I lost so much money. So then when the murder of George Floyd happened and then, you know, I was able to then um, take my e-learning DEI training and put it in a way where it's using the whole infrastructure that I had built for that COVID-19 awareness training that financially failed but was the way for us to now work with a huge organization, household names, we're just really, really happy. We we work with hospitals. We train 30,000, you know, surgeons and um, nurses on anti-racism and diversity and mm-hmm. inclusion. And that can literally save lives, right? Because sometimes you don't realize you spend less time caring about a patient because let's say there's a language barrier or, or, or whatnot. And we really, really... Uh, hope to be there and really helping people learn how we can actually just all live better and help each other. So.
0: definitely. And following on from that, what would be one piece of advice that you would give somebody who's wanting to be an entrepreneur? Um, I would say, uh, Oh yeah. So you have to
1: dedicate your life to it. You can't just like, Oh, that's a good, I'll give an example. Oh, yeah, there's this technology for uh, sunglasses. It looks really great. I want to be in it. I want to create it. I might make money. So, the people that I know were there to make money were mm-hmm. not, I don't, the ones I met were not successful. You want to yeah. make money when, you know, they're sleeping or they're traveling and it gen- generates money. To me, I don't see uh, longevity sustainability. Like, if you go in, go in with something that you care so much about, in my case, you know, they say, that people are trying to fix their childhood all their lives well, yes. that's with the level. I'm not going anywhere I'm obsessed
0: so mm-hmm. no definitely that's great advice and um, um, also kind of I feel like a lot of people do know about the entrepreneurship industry but there's still a lot of myths surrounding it because it's quite a new and coming area but what would you say is one common myth about the field that you would like to debunk
1: yeah <laughs> there's so many
0: yeah. DEI
1: um the fact that you already are working with a diversity and inclusion company, training company, or you already have a DI training. Well, that's, that is the myth that this is okay for today is completely wrong because the awareness, the knowledge, everyone just stepped up. Everything that was used in 2020 cannot be used today. It has to be completely revamped. We can go deeper in intersectionality and in allyship and really digging into privilege because that's where people are at. And so just don't use the, what you use, you know, and uh, be careful when people are, you know, they put a black um, facilitator and they say, here's, you know, it's BIPOC. Look at who owns the organization. Look at who built the training. You know, us BIPOC people, we didn't just like learn it. We actually lived it. So this, really like the more intersectionality you can find, uh, within, um, facilitator and owner of an organization. I I believe the best content you could have due to the fact that it's not only learned, but it's also expertise learned and lived. So Mm -hmm.
0: Mm, definitely. And I'm sure you're really busy at the moment being, you know, your own founder of your own company, but what have you read or listened to recently that's really inspired you?
1: Um, I read The Sum of Us, which is a, a book about the cost of racism on all people. So not just uh, people, um, white people or people of color and whatnot. I also listened to Bob Marley. Ooh, love Bob Marley. Very, very important. It's like, uh, it, he, he says it all. And then yeah. I love to read Pew Research, P-E-W, because I'm a an nerd and I love stats.
0: Awesome. Yeah. And um, I know this is typically a hard question, but I you have to narrow it down to three. Who are three people in your life who have been the most influential to you?
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, my boyfriend is amazing. He believes in me. He's my mentor with his experience, but he's also my mentee uh, as my student for DEI. So it's just amazing. Amazing. And he gave me the guts to just meet with those humongous like I mean if you think about the biggest organization in the world he just was like oh just meet with them it's fine and I was like wow almost fainted but because he made me do it and I did it now I'm just like I can go in big meetings and it's fine my sister inspired me because obviously our suffering uh, in our childhood really um, you know there was some colorism within the family so it was really you know basically treating people that have darker skin tone Mm -hmm. less Well, so we've really lived uh, such a hard, I feel, childhood. So that that she inspires me every day. We encourage each other. And um, my dad, he inspired me. Uh, He also believed in me a lot.
0: And um, yeah. (laughs) And then finally, to wrap up our conversation, what is one piece of advice that you wish you gave yourself at any point in your life? Um.
1: you know I I thought that I was not as good as good as people because I was not as organized or well when I compare myself or I didn't have a straight trajectory and Mm. I went for a year and a half traveling and people were like well you won't be marketable anymore and I was like because I stayed one year and then I was going to stay a half a year more backpacking Mm. and he told me like oh, you won't be marketable anymore. And I was like, but I need to stay half a year more. I need mm-hmm. to do more. And so when I came back, people were like, i uh, working at McKinsey and all that. And I was like, so scared. But I got my job uh, as an international correspondent. So this traveling actually made me marketable to then meet uh, CEOs internationally and write in a business magazine, a uh, Brazilian business magazines. And so, and also like me being a founder, like, I surround myself with really, really um, top talent, people that have the skills that that excel in areas where I don't necessarily excel. And just being like, you know, I'm grateful for everyone at my company. They're just, just amazing people. Amazing. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, so basically everything will work out in the end. Yeah. It's okay if you are the way
1: you are. Yes. Yeah. Just go for it. And amazing. again, the biggest mistakes has been the source of my biggest success. So it's like, is there really a mistake that you can make? Uh -uh. So that's just failure out of your vocabulary. Exactly.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, once again, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Karine. It was wonderful to have this conversation, to learn more about you. Thank you so much, Leila. It was really, uh, thank you for having me and lovely meeting you. Yes, lovely
1: to meet you too. All right then, bye-bye. Bye.